the beautiful Crimean seaside town of Yalta was the setting for the latest and greatest conference of the Big Three. The Kremlin guards form a guard of honor and march past in true Red Army style after being inspected by Mr. Churchill and President Roosevelt. Finally, into the palace courtyard sweeps the long black car bearing one of the greatest military leaders of all time, Marshal of the Soviet Union, Joseph Stalin. Oh, I'm sorry. Did I break your concentration? I'm Eric Slater. I'm Justin Aki. And I'm Chris Carroll. And this is Epic Fails of um, History. Now I am become death, the destroyer of worlds. The only thing we have to fear is fear When the president does it, that means that it is not illegal. Epic fails. Much of the evil in the world is due to the fact that man in general is hopelessly unconscious. Carl Jung. All right. Welcome back once again to Epic Fails of History. I'm Eric Slater. I'm joined once again by my co host, Justin Aki. Hello, hello. And today we're finally. After, I think, two and a half years wrapping up season three with the Bracket of Fails. We didn't say it was the quick Bracket of Fails. It was just the Bracket of Fails. No, yeah. I mean, it's on brand that, you know, it took this long, right? (laughs) (laughs) Bracket of Fails. But yeah, so this is something we've been doing uh, since, I think, episode 23. And we put together this massive list. This was a, this was an ambitious project. Okay. <laughs> we had how many people, I think it was like 30 something, uh, historical figures we started with. Yeah. We, we started with, uh, what 32, something like that. 30. I don't remember that how sounds we started about with, right. but I mean, it was, it was all historical people too. Not even like current people that should be terrible. Right. And we had uh, like the worst Roman emperors, uh, some of the most terrible pirates, like pirates that sucked at being pirates, some of the worst American presidents. This season of Epic Fails of History, we decided to do a little something called the The Bracket Bracket of of Fails. What's the Bracket of Fails? The Bracket of Fails is a single elimination bracket where we're pitting 32 of history's biggest failures against one another to determine who is the most epic fail of history. Dude, it, it's Hitler. I mean, the answer's obviously Hitler. <clears throat> the Bracket of Fails is a single elimination bracket where we're pitting 32 of history's biggest failures against one another to determine who is the most epic fail of history. Uh, besides Hitler. And you, the listeners, get to decide who will come out on top. Uh, uh, bo- bottom? Oh, God, these people are terrible. That's right. First up, we've got Steed Bonnet, the gentleman pirate, a rich plantation owner who had a midlife crisis and decided to become a pirate, only to have Blackbeard steal his ship. Eric Bloodaxe, a Viking so brutal that even other Vikings thought he was a bit much. Ethelred the Unready. Enough said. Cleopatra. Guy Fawkes. Brutus. You know, the dude who stabbed Caesar in the back. Benedict Arnold, the dude who metaphorically stabbed Washington in the back. J. Bruce Ismay, the guy responsible for not making sure there were enough lifeboats on the Titanic. Holy Roman Emperor, Joseph II? We'll get to him on a future episode. We've also got President Franklin Pierce. President Andrew Johnson. President Andrew Jackson. Genghis Khan. Henry VIII. I am, I am. King John I. Christopher Columbus. Ivan the Terrible. 
Xerxes, the Persian emperor who took on Leonidas and his 300 Spartans before getting his ass handed to him by some Athenian boats. Hernan Cortes, the conquistador who wiped out the entire Aztec Empire. Francisco Pizarro, the conquistador who wiped out the entire Incan Empire. Ramses II. Louis XVI. For more on him, listen to our French Revolution episode. Napoleon. Alexander the Great. Vlad the Impaler. Gavrilo Princip. Who? You know, the guy who shot Archduke Franz Ferdinand and basically started World War I, which led to World War II, which also led to the Cold War, which led to Rocky IV. Also, dude, I was on that episode of Epic Fails. Oh, right. We've also got Xin Shi Huangdi, the first emperor of China. Nero, the absolutely insane Roman emperor. Caligula, another crazy Roman emperor. Pope Urban II, the guy responsible for the Crusades. All nine of them. Leopold II of Belgium, one of the most notorious colonizers of the 19th century. And, of course, Stalin, one of the most notorious dictators of the 20th century. So, yeah, like... There's a lot of contestants here, some of which, uh, you know, I'm not surprised didn't make it too far. But there was a few others that I was like kind of expecting to go further, yeah. like Leopold II. There were some solid upsets. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Or Napoleon. Napoleon, Although, yeah. again, in all fairness, Napoleon was up against Andrew Jackson. And that is a... Uh... That's a that was a that was a battle right there. <laughs> for real, for real. I was I was kind of hoping Columbus would get a little bit further. You know, I was kind of surprised he didn't make it into the semifinals. Again, going up against Andrew Jackson, like you that was that was not <laughs> not unheard of that he would have done that. But uh yeah, it was I was sort of surprised a little bit by Xerxes beating out Stead Bonnet. Um, I guess a lot of people watch This Flag Means Death or something. You upended your entire comfortable life to become a pirate. Hi all! Pirating is not for everyone. We're going to go on up there and uh, we're going to cause some havoc. How violent do we expect this to get? Brutal idea. We're swashbuckling. We're looting. Let's have fun with it. Who knew there was so much to learn about pirating? And we're quite certain that pirate. One has to be a heavy set woman in a silk dressing gown. Everybody hide! But um, yeah. Some of the some <laughs> of the earlier the earlier ones, it was way up in the air, and I had some good guesses. I actually got through in the skin of my teeth, but I mean, I'm currently number two in the standings because of the last two rounds. Just this, like the last round specifically shot me. That was, <laughs> I had some upsets on my, my bracket and I can only come Absolutely. in second now, regardless of the outcomes. So, um, for sure. Screw you. Whoever's in front of me. <laughs> <laughs> Henry Yates, I am, I am. Yeah, and uh, King John was another one. Like, Andrew Johnson beat him out, I think, just barely on that vote. But, you know, again, like, most of our audience is American, so most of them have heard more about the American presidents than the English kings. (laughs) So that kind of makes sense. Yes, but King John was in Robin Hood. You would think they would think that, so whatever. Yeah, he was the villain of Robin Hood, yeah. (laughs) Well, they'll be singing a different tune. Double the taxes. Triple the taxes. But yeah, so yeah, it was, it was an interesting, you know, it was an interesting turnout. For our previous Bracket of Fails entries, listen to episode 23, The First French Revolution. Episode 24, The Rise and Fail of Rome. Episode 25, Worst Pirates Ever. Episode 26 and three quarters on the war in Ukraine. Episode 27, The Mongol Invasions of Japan. Episode 28, The Salem Witch Trials. Episode 29, The First Thanksgiving. Episode 30, Nuclear Fails. Episode 31, The Bracket of Fails Round 2. Episode 31.5, our Oppenheimer movie review, where we also tackled Round 3. 
Episode 32, The War for Jenkins' Ear, where we had a tiebreaker between Christopher Columbus and Andrew Jackson. Episode 32.5, The Final Four. Episode 33.5, The Bracket of Fails Semifinals. And Episode 34.5, my review of Ridley Scott's Napoleon, where I revealed who would be going on to the final match. There was definitely some unexpected stuff, but you know what I totally expected, what I'm not surprised at all, is that Stalin made it to the very end. Both you and I had him at the very end. Yeah. We, yeah. Listen, going into all of the historical people that we just consider, and this is not like one of those, like, boys think of the Roman Empire all the time, but a lot of people <laughs> think about Stalin and, like, the, the impact he's had and... on the 20th century, generally, just overall. Absolutely. And him going up against anyone... It's not like it's not a competition, but it, it's hard to look at any of the people on this list and not consider him against Stalin. That's why we had leave out Hitler just because Hitler would have ran solid the way Stalin did. It's absolutely we, we didn't have Michael Jordan. We had we had some other goats in there. You know, it's <laughs> it's hard to say, hey, now if you taken Stalin off this list, yeah, I actually would have been lost a little bit. I probably would have gone Andrew Jackson all the way. But yeah, when you have Stalin in the mix, Stalin was who I expected to get to the very end. Mm-hmm. I am surprised who he's going up against, though. Yeah, so Stalin's going up against Francisco Pizarro. And I was a little, I don't want to say shocked, but I was kind of surprised uh, he, he made it this far. And I think what it is, is that he beat out Hernan Cortez, another <laughs> conquistador that I kind of thought was going to go all the way. But yeah, no, Pizarro beat him out. And then he went up against Caligula. I don't know if it's that people wanted to hear more about him than Caligula because we already did an episode on Caligula. But yeah, here we are. <laughs> yeah, I I think the overall bracket was fantastic. I don't know some of the other challenges we would have had getting some, some of these people together. The fact that who he went up against was, I think he had a little bit of a cakewalk getting up there. Stalin could have gone against anybody, but the fact that Pizarro made it to the very end was, was shocking. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. But yeah, I mean, you know, without a doubt, like a lot of this really comes down to opinion. Like, sure, you can talk stats all day, but some of these it's like, how do you really um, measure, you know, (laughs) how do you quantify how terrible someone is? Because you got to take in all the context and all that. And again, we're we're, we were putting this out to the Internet. So people were voting on this. And I feel like it's hard to tell who's terrible if they don't have a little blue check next to their name. (laughs) <laughs> that's that's usually how I figure it was terrible or not. Right. So at the end of the day, this was a fun excuse to kind of dig in a little bit more to some of these historical figures, some of which a lot of people hadn't heard of before. And a lot of them that people had heard of before, but didn't really know a whole lot about them, if that makes sense. You know, I, I remember some people being surprised that like Columbus and Napoleon were on the list. But like, if you really if you know, you know, <laughs> Yeah, I mean, and a lot of states are coming around to that. That's why it's called Indigenous Peoples Day in places like Massachusetts. Exactly. And that's stuff like that is kind of the reason I started this whole project to begin with. Not just the bracket, but Epic Fails of History in general is because of things like that. You know, you grow up hearing, you know, about, you know, Columbus sailed the ocean blue in 1492. And you don't really get the context of like how horrible this guy was in public schools, basically. I didn't I didn't really know much about his story until college and it was the same with a lot of these guys on yeah. a long enough timeline everyone's a monster um and i'm looking at you shirley temple black but uh <laughs> history will tell history will tell all right so let's get into our final match
Stalin versus Pizarro. Are you ready for the heavyweight championship of the world? Ladies and gentlemen, let's get ready to rumble! Only on pay-per-view. <laughs> I just, I kind of had to do that. Speaking of pay-per-view, uh, hit up the Patreon. And if not for this, at least for, uh, uh, we can probably make this work. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. Like if, uh, if you like what we do, uh, let us know, share, share the show with your friends, you know, get the word out there. Uh, we've got a lot of other projects going on, uh, especially over at Podcasters Assemble and the Super Switch Club. So, you know, check them out. Future Eric here again. Although we don't currently have an active Patreon for this show, we are very active on there with both the Super Switch Club and Podcasters Assemble. However, if you'd like to support me directly, all four Epic Fails history books are available now on both Amazon and Audible, as well as my latest sci-fi book, 2299. And as always, reviews for my books and this show are always welcome and definitely help to get my content out there. Huzzah! Awesome. For this one, we're doing something a little different. We're going to kind of do this sort of as like a debate style thing, or at least we're going to try. Um, I'm going to be repping uh, my boy Stalin. <laughs> wow, that sounded awful. Uh, <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, you don't want to be in the same company as Stalin there, buddy. No, definitely not. But yeah, so I'm going to be talking about Joseph Stalin, uh, you know, premier of the USSR. And you've got... I'm going to cover Francisco Pizarro. Um, I'm going to be 100% honest. I had Stalin going to the very end, so I'm biased. But I'm going to treat this like debate, debate called rules. And you know what? I'm going to, I'm going to give Pizarro his due. He did some terrible things, and we're going to talk about him. Definitely, definitely. Before we really jump in on both of these guys, we should give a little bit of context for each of them. So with Stalin, he really came into power because of the October Revolution, which was during World War One, right? And Lenin was shipped from Germany to Russia as like like a secret weapon, basically. He was this guy that like couldn't shut up about how awesome socialism was. And they were like, let's just send him up to uh, up to Russia or whatever. And like their plan basically worked like that totally sparked a revolution. And that led them to getting out of World War One, basically. But the unintended consequence of that is that it kind of changed the course of like world history. You know, that one event. During this, this chaos though, in 1917, Lenin's uh, Bolsheviks stormed the, the Winter Palace. They rounded up the royal family and the Russian Tsar and his whole family were unfortunately tragically killed. And Lenin and his supporters seized power. So that kind of sort of set the stage for, for uh, Stalin to kind of manipulate his way into uh, taking over. Yeah, to, to speak a little bit further on that, um, you've got to keep in mind that the, the whole goal was to stop Russia from being in the war. Right. But this is, all, this is all a family affair. You had the British, the Russians, and the Germans were all related by blood. It was all cousins and shit. So... Um, this was just like a, uh, he thought they were doing a little sneaky. They're doing a little sneaky. Um, and it turns out that they, they ruined the entire continent and set up the next war. Why did they call World War One World War One? It's quite pessimistic numbering, isn't it? Or did they just know it was the start of a franchise? So uh, 
stupid on their part, but uh, obviously we we get a terrible bastard out of it. So. <laughs> Now, Francisco Pizarro uh, followed a little bit more of a straightforward path. There was he, he was a conquistador, Spanish conquistador, and he was not the first of his kind, nor was he the last. There was a lot going on in this area. This was Spanish colonialism times. Uh, you know, Columbus yeah. discovered, quote-unquote, the, the New World <laughs> in 1492. Um, this was the age of exploration. I mean, by the time that Francisco Pizarro gets to the New World, like, islands had already been taken over in the name of the Spanish and the Catholic Church, and, and flags have been planted, and we even start to get some other colonialism going on. Slave trade is started to be instituted because they needed workers. The the, the native work, natives really weren't willing to work. They, you know, it's also their home territory. Can't really round them up to start doing uh, all the sugar plantations and everything. So you start bringing in slaves, and you start figuring out, like, well... We're on this island. What's to the left of us? Because we know there's land there. Let's go just keep finding land. And uh, so that's where we have Cortez comes in. Mm. And I mean, the fall of the Aztec Empire is like right around the corner from there. So we had multiple battles for territory that had, not that they're all, they're all natives, but the empires there kind of considered the territory just there. It wasn't like they held specific borders. They owned all of it. So yeah. it's a little weird for them to go into traditional European-style battles and controls for territory and land rights and colonialism. So that's what we're walking into with Francisco Pizarro. He, he goes into an established system and he just does dumb bastardy shit. Sounds about right. And and we should point out that Cortez, he lucked out in a lot of cases, but to them, the ends kind of justified the means, you know, like, yeah, he brought a lot of gold back. <laughs> Cortez was literally, let's just say, he was the lucky one because the fact that they sent a lot of people over to the New Worlds to get shit. Mm-hmm. Not everyone made it. Not everyone made it back. Not everyone. It would, they sent a lot of people over at once. It was the whole point was just to flood the area to get control. So exactly. You had Pizarro just in a line of people, again, before and after, the ones that made it back, the ones that had more than one battle, uh, if, if you survived one battle, congratulations, you're now an elder statesman in, in as far as taking over colonies and stuff. So definitely, Bizarro was part of a failed colony before. Like he, he had been through multiple battles and expeditions. The fact that when we get his final expedition starts taking over some of the, uh, the inland territories, like he, he, he'd seen through the shit, but it's not like he knew better. He was just lucking out. He got a little bit better with his choice of men, and the tactics were finally taking over what they had with the the Incans. But yeah, let's um let, let's start from the beginning. Like, well, what do you got from uh sure. from our boy Stalin? <laughs> Round one, fight. So Stalin was born into a poor family back in 1878. He had an abusive alcoholic father. His family life was pretty horrible from what I understand. And he was actually the only child that survived to adulthood. This was, um, you know, Russian the late 19th century. So it wasn't exactly like a pleasant place to be. Not that it is really at any point in history, but hey, as soon as they invent uh, knockoff Adidas tracksuits, man, it's a great place to live. <laughs> so right around this time, Stalin got married. And unfortunately, his wife died from typhus in 1907. At her funeral, young Stalin proclaimed, this creature softened my heart of stone. She died, and with her died my last warm feelings for humanity. Uh, 
Thankfully, his comrades had the sense to take away his revolver, but not the foresight to schedule some much-needed psychiatric help. At some point, uh, Stalin got interested in theology, and he ended up um, going off to seminary. And while he was there, he came across a little work by a guy named Karl Marx. And so he was instantly hooked, as a lot of college students are, by this philosophy, this uh, utopian idealistic idea and he ended up dropping out of seminary and kind of dedicated the rest of his life towards this cause he ended up joining the bolsheviks he was a charming dude and he used that to his advantage and he quickly rose to the ranks becoming a trusted ally of one vladimir lenin the guy who actually led the revolution a few years later there was a time not very long ago when we lived in an enchanted world of elegant palaces and grand parties, the year was 1916, and my son, Nicholas, was the Tsar of Imperial Russia. We were celebrating the 300th anniversary of our family's rule. And that night... Товарищи! Рабочая крестьянская революция, о необходимости которой все время говорили большевики, Yeah, not to go full Republican mode, but I mean, when you have nothing, uh, communism sounds great. Because it's like, oh, we could take all what the riches have. <laughs> now, in, right. in, again, his defense, the czar was a terrible person too. Kind of almost a a post a let them eat cake type shit going on. Oh, without a <laughs> doubt. Yeah, it was. He was so out of touch, as many royals are. You know, they didn't have the internet back then. They didn't know. You know, <laughs> but like, yeah. it, it's really interesting when you read about it. It's it's kind of sad because like he seemed like he genuinely wanted to help the situation from what I understand, but he didn't, you know, he wasn't quite sure how to go about that, I think. And also he was also in his own little bubble. I think he was like totally willing to abdicate or whatever, but that wasn't good enough for him, you know? And again, we should point out that the idea of socialism in itself is not inherently terrible. In theory, communism works. In theory, you don't know the first thing about communism. I think it's a little complicated to actually make that work, especially back then. But the problems come in when you got guys like Lenin and then, of course, later Stalin, as we'll get into, that take that idea and then kind of corrupt it. They twisted it to their own ends and they used it to put themselves in power. So it was just as bad as a monarchy in a way. Yeah, you're just taking one reign of power and, oh, well... <laughs> I mean, since I'm here already. Exactly. Uh, and I do think it's not to skip ahead too much. It's funny yeah. that he started out in seminary and then he bans all religion. So. Right. Yeah. <laughs> what does he know? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Well, and I kind of wonder, I don't know. It just seems like something happened with this guy. I wonder if like he, he was like a true believer early on, but then like, like life, you know, beat him down and then like he just lost all compassion. I used to think that my life was a tragedy. It's a comedy. It could have also just been expected 
like if he, if his dad was an alcoholic, but he wasn't a farmer and he didn't have land, he didn't have a shop, he didn't have anything like the seminary would have provided for him without having any kind of real social skills. Yeah. So keep that in mind. Also, the fact that he was charming means mm-hmm. he was able to talk to people. And as a priest, it'd be a good thing to be able to talk to people. So yeah, just keep that in mind. Like you, you pick up these skills, it's, they're inherently there. And then he gets trained a little further, a little further, a little further. And then he gets wrapped up in someone like Vladimir Lenin. It's like Lenin said, you look for the person who will benefit and, uh, uh, you know. Uh, I am the walrus. You know, you'll, uh, uh, you know what I'm trying to say. I am the walrus. Well, uh, your, your man has some daddy issues and uh, so does mine because there was no father involved in the market. Uh, he was born in 1478 in Spain, middle of nowhere. He really had a challenge upbringing and the, he did not come from much. So again, soldier's life is something that you can take whatever skills you have growing up and move along. He was not going to go into the seminary. He was not going to go into mm-hmm. uh, government office. He had no power in the family to begin with. So he had to make his own. He'd already been by 1509 on expedition to Colombia and he later served in Panama. So, I mean, you go from pretty young going over to uh, the new world. He, he really found out that the Spanish crown was willing to back people to take over colonies. And he saw that there was there was power and riches to be involved. The journey here was very simple. All we had to do was sail 5,000 miles from Spain to Panama, travel overland through the dense jungle, then build a whole new boat and sail down the coast to Peru. It only took us two and a half years. Easy peasy, squeeze the lemon. And now we are going to meet some local Incas, see how they live and find out about their magnificent culture. And steal how they go. Pedro, please, don't mention that stealing the gold, okay? He was in a failed colony in Colombia. Um, they later abandoned it. And then Panama. He also had to uh, arrest his former commander, Balboa, which actually Balboa was another one of those guys that made it to the top of the ranks. But the fact that he had to execute Balboa, it's, it's interesting that he sees what the crown has to go through to have control over their people all the way across the globe. Right. But yeah, he still wants to participate because he realizes that this is the only way for him to to move up and get rich as hell doing it. So what's interesting to me about that is that this was like his mentor, right? And I think it was the governor that basically ordered, he was ordered to arrest this guy. And then they charged him on like trumped up charges, you know, like it was all made up and it was just to get him out of the way because the governor didn't trust him. Basically, he thought he was going to take his position and wanted to take him out. And as a result, Pizarro ended up becoming the mayor of I want to say, oh, man, where was that? But he, he basically got like a position in government because of this, because he followed orders. And I think that sort of kind of like taught him like, oh, if I screw over other people, I'll get ahead in life. You know, <laughs> he kind of got the wrong I, lesson I, from that. But that's that's how you, you know, that's the Game of Thrones. Right? I know. I always just think of uh, King of an Anthill, though, because these are frontier towns. This is not something where like he's he's like uh, lording over. He's lording over other people and soldiers. This is not exactly like they ship in the cream of the crop and they have markets. <laughs> this is. Uh, yeah, so you're the mayor of the town, which is basically means yeah. if this guy shoots this guy, you're kind of the judge right there. Like there's, right. It's, there's not much going on except for drinking and going out for fine gold to bring back that the crown already is claimed, by the way. So it's not like they get to keep it all for themselves. There's a tax involved. <laughs> and you have to remember, uh, if something happens, the government is across the ocean. 
So we're going to just say that this guy tried to betray us or, you know, he fell off the ship, you know, that kind of thing. Like, <laughs> so yeah, um, this was, actually comes to bite him in the ass later on, too, when they realize that the, the king gets upset because yes. of some kingly stuff. And it's like, well, you weren't there, buddy. So, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's a good point. We must pray to Santa Maria to save us. Santa Maria de Guadalupe, Mystica Rosa, intercede por la iglesia. One of you was not praying. It was me. I was thinking of a joke I had. Uh, speaking of not being there, back in Russia, Stalin was completely absent for the Great Revolution. Over the next nine years, 1908 to 1917, Stalin was rested a whopping seven times and managed to escape a total of five times. Joe's activist years eventually led to his final arrest and subsequent exile to a Siberian prison in 1913. By 1917, Joseph was still carving out his sentence in a Siberian prison when the long-anticipated communist revolution kicked off without him. Phase 1 of the Russian Revolution, aptly titled the February Revolution. Returning home from exile in Siberia in March 1917, Stalin was a changed man. He arrived with nothing but a typewriter in a wicker suitcase and a tattered suit that he'd had on him when he was arrested all those years earlier. Upon rejoining his comrades, Stalin worked as a publicist, gaining the respect and admiration of many in the party, and even once helped Vladimir Lenin to evade capture a number of times, disguising him by shaving his iconic beard while smuggling him out of the country to lay low in Finland. After the insurrectionists stormed the Winter Palace during the October Revolution later that year, Stalin became a leading member of the Communist Party's Central Committee and was instrumental in establishing the new government. From there, Stalin quickly rose through the ranks, manipulating his way in and outmaneuvering his rivals with ease, eventually landing a sweet gig as General Secretary for the Communist Party in 1922. That year, an aging Lenin wrote a letter to many of the prominent members of the party, cautioning them against the ever-ambitious Stalin, warning that he had concentrated boundless power in his hands, and I am not convinced that he will always manage to use this power with adequate care. Also worth noting, Stalin often cited Ivan the Terrible as one of his role models, and when asked about how they should deal with their political opponents, he said, The idea of a concentration camp is excellent which right there should have at least sent off some red flags. But um sh over the next several years, yeah. um, Lenin and his posse, Stalin included, helped to like kind of organize the Communist Party and they put together the Red Army. And it was during this time that he really kind of put himself in a position of power. You know, he was and and people kind of saw this like his his like political maneuvering there were some that were kind of wary of him and even lenin was a little suspicious of him vladimir lenin passed away in 1924 leaving the communist party scrambling for an heir unfortunately for them none of them heeded lenin's suggestion to remove stalin before it was too late by 1928 stalin had emerged as supreme ruler of the ussr and everyone in all of russia was about to regret it yeah i mean all these guys are just playing war at this point. It, yeah. You overthrow a czar. You don't know what the hell you're doing. Also, They didn't have a just, plan after that, I don't think, right? Yeah, this guy just got back from prison. I mean, this almost felt like the beer hall push for, uh, for right? Hitler. But it's yeah, Hitler was only away for a few months, so... And then you you gotta you gotta consider too. It's kind of like the French Revolution, right? Like where 
Uh, they overthrew the monarchy and it's like, well, now what? You know, Robespierre ends up kind of taking over and becomes like this, you know, egomaniac. And it's just it's like we're just back to having monarchs again, basically. It's just a different name for it. It was absolute power corrupts absolutely type stuff. Yeah. It, these guys have these high ideals. As soon as they get any kind of power, they realize, oh, well, this guy, the guy he had in power beforehand, this is why he kept the power. Cast it into the fire. Destroy it. I mean, I don't know if you've ever watched uh, Solar Opposites, the show, but they have that wall shit going on. That's hilarious. <laughs> but they actually do show this kind of stuff. Like the guy throw, overthrows a powerful dictator and then goes crazy and wants power for himself. So exactly, um, yeah, it, it's it's there's a reason it's a trope. <laughs> it definitely and it's a story is. that if if you write a cliched ass story like that, no one will accept it because it's like been there, done that. So shortly after Lenin's death in 1924, Stalin maneuvers his rivals within the Communist Party. He assumes control and becomes the general secretary. He basically spends the next, uh, I want to say, yeah, next uh, decade or so kind of making it so that he is like in sole control, right? He's uh, limiting political rivals left and right you know, kind of playing people against one another. It was very similar to like Caesar. There was like this whole concept of the triumvirate and then he took out the other <laughs> the other two guys, basically. So it was, it was very similar to that. Playing them against one another and, and also erasing them from history. <laughs> yes. Well, well, we'll get into that in a little bit. But yeah, yeah, hold that thought on that one. <laughs> yeah. So Stalin implemented a series of policies to kind of try to industrialize Russia, kind of make it like a major player on the world stage, right? And one of these policies was a five-year plan aimed at rapidly industrializing the Soviet Union and collectivizing agriculture. Uh, the Gulag system was one of them. And these policies led to significant economic and social upheaval. And that's an understatement. Yeah, when you, when you take whole villages and and you ship them off to Siberia to dig rocks, and then you have <laughs> you have all of your um your green for five year plans taken up. They'll probably ship me off to Siberia. This sucks. I hate it here. Shut up. Drink wolf milk and watch Russian cartoons. We now return to popular Russian cartoon shoe and shoeless. Shoe and shoeless. One is meaningless without the other. The Gulag system was uh, was an attempt to kind of industrialize the Soviet Union, right? Unfortunately, it led to the deaths of millions of Russians, many of starvation, and a lot of them were actually worked to death in these. They were basically slave labor labor camps under brutal conditions. And when all was said and done, about 14.5 million died during what is known as the Great Famine, primarily in what is now Ukraine and Kazakhstan. So that's that's pretty awful. Well, considering he was basically from the Georgian area, like he, he there was no one really mm. truly from Russia except for the Russians. He just happened to take over. <laughs> right. Yeah. So the Soviet Union, you know, we think of it as Russia, but it really was much more than that. You know, a lot of Eastern Europe and stuff was part of this at some point. You got to think the Soviet Union, as it stood in the early 20th century, was also because of like people like Alexander the Great and Sophia the Great, and mm. they, they expanded out to the north and the south. They got the, the ports in the Black Sea and then the north. Um, they went to war with um, the Finns. And I mean, it's they had already expanded to this point. So it was not just the borders of Russia and what the, the group that they have now. Yeah. It is tons of space. 
And they didn't even have the East as much as you think they did because the Chinese really were all over that space. Yeah, definitely. It's just crazy the amount of like stuff that he did mm-hmm. that just at a whim or like at the directorship of someone in um, I don't know, some like mid-level bureaucrat manager just makes a decision because Stalin wants something done. It, it's just insane to see what they actually did. As as we learned previously, Bizarro kind of like saw that he could do more. And so he, he started an expedition of just 13 guys to begin with. Starting. Uh, it got bigger. But said, hey, they're going to go from Colombia and the Panama area and everything where he was and explore Peru, which there were, there were people there already. It was the Incans. He eventually shows up and the uh, emperor of the uh, Incans uh, brings him in, 50,000 men strong, and says, hey... Uh, Thanks for coming to my territory. Here's a small gift. Yeah. Um, we're, we're cool, right? <laughs> and, uh... <laughs> whoa, 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 whoa. What? I don't speak... Is that Spanish? Okay, send real. This isn't real. This isn't real. Oh, shit! What? I'm sorry. Uh, please, just leave me alone. I don't know what you're saying, man. Like, no Espanol, whatever the fuck. So we meet again, you Spanish you. Hey, right over that hill there? Is the lost city of gold. Yeah, gold. You like gold, huh? Go over there, Indians will give you all the gold you want. Don't even charge you for free. Just hand it out. <laughs> there, there was a friar. Because uh, don't forget, those is also all intents and purposes to bring Jesus to the world, even if to the point of a gun or a sword. Friar's like, yes, but you must submit. And the emperor's like, uh, dude, look around you. See all these people? They're, they're mine. Why would I submit anything? So Pizarro took that personally. Uh, started started a small war, captured the Incan emperor. I mean, it just to uh, give some sort of baseline, the, the Incans actually weren't doing so well at this point. There's had gone through a couple of famines and some, some plagues, uh, mostly because the Spanish brought over tons of diseases that they weren't used to. for the royal kingdom of Spain. Vamanos! Look out! It's the natives! To win their trust, I will give them a disease-covered blanket from my backpack. Smallpox! Uh-oh, it looks like they're angry. Say rifle, so I can use my advanced western weaponry to subdue them. And so the, the latest emperor actually had usurped his brother in the Civil War. So he was already on shaky ground to begin with. The people there were more of a show of power, not necessarily like his whole empire strong. But anyway, he's captured, uh, emperor's captured by Pizarro. And uh, as part of the ransom, they demand a room filled with gold and silver. But it's very specific. We have records because damn priests. Um, <laughs> so the, the room they uh, had in mind, and I believe it probably falls within uh, a room of one of their ziggurats or something because it, it's specifically lined, but it's 22 feet by 17 feet. 
Now that's a lot. That's a pretty big room. I'm I'm in a room that's about ten by ten right now. T- twelve. 12 by 12 so 22 yeah. feet by 70 feet it's it's almost three times the size of this room in, in space and they want it filled with gold now i mean i i don't assume it's gonna be like fort knox bars you know like james bond or they're doing it like the um die hard three situation this is gold mr bond all my life i've been in love with its color its brilliance its divine heaviness i welcome any enterprise that will increase my stock which is considerable. Do you expect me to talk? No, Mr. Bond, I expect you to die. But let's let's just say he had one foot of gold, like just loose coins, just Scrooge McDuck in it, one fifty tall. Yeah. That'd be th- 374 cubic feet of gold. Um, I don't know about you, but cubic foot of gold sounds sounds pretty good. <laughs> gold gold is typically measured in, in grams and troy ounces, not like feet cubic feet and it's pretty heavy gold's pretty dense and there's a reason you can use it uh like lead it stops all sorts of random stuff if you assumed one foot deep on that size of that room we're talking about 431 pounds of gold again remember it's usually typically measured in ounces uh just basing it on a current spot rate lead average of 1800 dollars per troy ounce um you're looking at 11.8 billion dollars in today's money worth of gold i don't i don't know about you but i didn't think the incans had that much just sitting around, you know, processed gold, ready to go. Even fifty thousand people, let's just say everyone had one necklace. That's not that's not a foot of gold in that room, man. I don't know what I don't know what Pizarro expected. Yeah, um, it probably it probably was just some sort of play to like I I own your your empire now. It's not necessarily like he's gonna get that, but regardless, they still got a lot of gold and silver. Um, silver was actually more abundant in the territory at the time, uh, but he still ended right. up killing the emperor. Uh, garroted him from <laughs> like uh, you know. Cut Jimmy cut his head off. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so let me get this straight. Pizarro, the Incan Emperor, basically surrenders and says, Okay, here, I'll give you what you want, right? Like he, he ransomed they ransomed his people, like gave them all the gold and silver they could ever want. And captured from other tribes. Like don't forget this they, this yeah. is within like all hands on deck. We need gold and silver. Because even if even if the emperor wasn't truly liked. Uh, he was still the emperor, and you kind of like had to keep some sort of normalcy. Compared, there, there's an entire empire going up another empire. So, well, he was their guy, regardless of whether they liked him or not, right? Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. Um, so, so at, but then they conceded to Pizarro's demands, and then Pizarro decided to kill him anyways. Yep, like yep. like and gave then, him a mock trial. I don't even know if it was much of a trial, and then just had him strangled to death basically oh best part of the trial is he was charged with the murder of his brother the one he usurped in the civil war so like this this had nothing to do with the spanish he was just he was tried because the spanish needed some sort of way to do it even king charles of spain the one that sent bizarro to the new world he thought he had caught a little too far when he uh heard how you know bizarro killed the incan emperor because it wasn't even about like oh you got the gold and silver he's more like a um please please don't kill kings and monarchs um i think it's mostly for the reason that you don't want to give precedence or give you ideas that you can start killing monarchs in the future maybe if you're a little pissed off at your king charles of spain a little down the road <laughs> um so it's just it's interesting that it was very brutal that even another king was like oh he gave you the ransom buddy maybe you don't execute him with a garrote right so. <laughs> yeah <laughs> 
Yeah, it, it was kind of interesting. So, like, uh, I, w- what was the quote here? He said, uh, we have been displeased by the death of Atahupa. I can't say that name. Since he was a monarch and particularly as it was done in the name of justice. So, like, basically, yeah, he was saying, like, I guess, I don't know. I wonder if, like, he was, like, um, kind of thinking, like, I don't know. This is, like, pre-French Revolution, but, like, just the idea that, like, he killed a king was kind of like, ooh, yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Kind of taboo, right? Even for. I I just think it's one of those you don't want to set precedents that killing leaders is a thing because yeah even the even the kings themselves again a lot of the European monarchies was related you wouldn't you wouldn't just off your cousin you would just take away their power and so I think that the Europeans were fighting along European lines Mm -hmm. and I mean hell the the Incans were fighting along their lines I mean you take a look at the Aztecs what happened before then right well Cortez didn't actually kill Montezuma. Uh, nope. He he had him in prison, but it was his own people. The Aztecs themselves were pissed that Montezuma gave in to Cortez and his men, and so they killed their emperor. Yeah, yeah. Epic wins of history. For this week's epic win of history, we're talking about Freddy Overstieg. Nope, nope, that's not it. Freddy Overstieg. Freddy Overstiegen, Truce Overstiegen, and Hani Shaft. Uh, I don't mean to make light of the names. They're just very difficult. These complete and total badasses were Dutch resistance fighters during the occupation of the Netherlands in World War II. So you know they were hard as nails. Check this. They would seduce and then assassinate Nazi officers. So they would, you know, flirt with them, drink them up, compliment them. Oh, yeah. Heil Hitler, la da da And then zip, your throat slit, bitch. They would also, uh, not to be just murderers uh i don't know killing a nazi is more like extermination if you ask me but they also would help jewish refugees cross through and get you know out of the nazi occupied territories in the safer places so they're underground railroading it while at the same time inglorious bastarding it and i don't know if there's anything more badass than that so hats off to freddy overstegen truce overstegen and honey shaft whose names i'm sure i am horribly mispronouncing round two Fight. Like we mentioned, Stalin basically outlawed religion. He even rounded up thousands of religious leaders. And then he kind of expected people to worship him instead. His face was plastered everywhere. It was kind of like one of those early examples of like the cult of personality that so many dictators have since gone on to emulate. And not only that, he basically established his own secret police to spy on political opponents called the NKVD, which basically was like the proto KGB. Now, if you think the Great Famine sounds bad enough, it gets better. During the Great Terror of the 1930s, show trials and torture became commonplace. Anyone who didn't fall in line was made an example of. Then, in 1937, we have the Great Purge, where Stalin eliminated any and all potential rivals, not only assassinating them, but he would go after their families and then even erase them from the historical record up to and including photographic evidence. Yeah, he would go into old newspaper archives and replace the newspapers with updated ones that we remove photos of people, drawings of people. Um, if if he was to like, there's a, a famous one you could see where it's him standing next to somebody on like a, yes. a boat near near the river, and the person's completely erased out with an airbrush. 
um, to show just the river behind him. And I mean, this is not either you're not looking at this photo like dead on, like, oh, that looks like uh, I can tell by the pixels. No, this would have been in a, a newspaper. <laughs> so it's you get a little bit of uh, some play with how it was shown, but they would do this to paintings. They would paint over paintings right. of important people to eliminate mm-hmm. whole family members and whole uncles and sections because if you if you were against Stalin, you were against the state. And Stalin was yeah. the state. So he would erase you from history. So I mean, because you got to think, if you have a martyr, if you have a, a name, you can say, oh, well, they killed they killed John. John, we really liked John. Now we'll avenge John. But if you have no yeah. proof that John existed, they would eliminate <laughs> records. They would eliminate birth certificates. They would burn down freaking right. uh, towns like uh, archives when they would when they take all these people to Siberia and the gulags. They would just burn down the town archives. Done. This this town no longer existed. Yeah, it's um, yeah, scorched earth for sure. <laughs> it's pretty scary and to think about. There it, is a story of a family who was uh, escaping some of the purges originally from the early 1900s um, from the the Tsar's men, but they also ran away from the Stalin's men. And then this whole family lived in Siberia until like the 1970s when they were found. They were literally a hidden family. <laughs> wow, that's nuts. Well, what's really interesting about this is you have to remember this is before computers were invented. This is like early Photoshop, but not the digital kind. Like the the tedious, like you have to go in there and like, uh, you know, like I don't even know how they did it. It's, it's pretty fascinating, though. Actually, um, fun story. The dodge and burn tool within Photoshop literally uh-huh. referred to a technique that you use with photographs when you're doing it in the dark room where you can dodge by darkening the image or I'm sorry, burn by darkening the image and dodge by lightening it with light so you actually can do it with like lights in the dark room to do that yeah the the techniques existed the tools just make it easier nowadays like right now right um i get i can ask chat to do whatever you want or i can make it myself i'm i've been a designer for 21 years now so like i can do most things to remove someone out of a photograph it yeah. also doesn't take me i can literally highlight it and it goes away in seconds this would have to been some guy would have been a poor bastard, would have to find the original negative of the newspaper, go to the photo, or eliminate the photo, then they would reprint the newspaper and put it back in place. Um, or they would so have nuts. That sounds like they so would much have work. <laughs> artists who worked with the state would go and paint over paintings, and they would match these. So they, if you go on a TikTok now, you could see people who do restorations, all sorts of cool shit like that. Yeah, they would have these people basically be held at gunpoint and said, yeah, you're getting rid of this guy, or I'm getting rid of you. So, (laughs) (laughs) and that's really not much of an exaggeration, honestly. Yeah. Stalin, he was paranoid is kind of like an understatement. He killed a lot of like loyal supporters, a lot of people in his inner circle, a lot of times just out of just sheer suspicion. If you looked at him wrong or if like he just was in a bad mood, like you better watch out. He was an alcoholic though. So yeah. I mean, like you got to think about that. Like you could be friends with them and having a great drinking party. And then you say one thing wrong the next day you might not wake up. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's yeah, it's it's pretty scary because again, this guy had absolute power and no checks and balances whatsoever. Everyone was just kind of like this entire country half the continent was at his mercy you know again this is why dictatorships are uh, pretty terrifying when you really think about it you know someday the world won't mock my shy and timid ways 
The people will all lavish me with praise. Someday I shall rule this land with kindness, love, and light. With open hearts and open minds, our future will shine bright. The masses will adore me as together we stand tall. And if not, then there's Plan B. I'll rip out their f***ing hearts and devour them. One hand on. So of the 103 highest-ranking members of the Communist Party, 81 were executed. More than a third of the Communist Party died during the Great Purge of 1937. And then there's this one guy, one of the OG communist comrades from back in the revolution days, Leon Trotsky. All right. So Stalin accused Leon of treason. And Trotsky was smart. And he decided to flee to Mexico. Unfortunately, Mexico wasn't far enough because in 1940, he was assassinated with an ice axe. Which, again, you're in the middle of Mexico. Where the hell do you get an ice axe from? <laughs> this is not something someone would have on their hands. Um, actually, there's a he deserves his own episode himself, or at least a short. Oh, yeah. Um, but Trotsky was still entertaining uh, guests and people who are, had fled uh, Soviet Union. And oh, yeah. He was like talking shit about Stalin uh, from across the globe. Yeah, he, he thought eventually that Stalin was going to get purged himself and he was going to come back. Um, but I actually, I did looked into it because I'm like, where the hell do you get an ice axe in Mexico? It turns out the guy who assassinated him was an NKVD agent. Oh, yeah. He was placed there in a long-term situation and uh, he stole the axe from his landlord's son, which I'm guessing the, land, the landlord's son was probably <laughs> some sort of, oh, like a climber or a mountaineer or engine or something like that. Just someone who had to travel for work and needed that kind of stuff. But the reason that the, the assassin actually had a gun and a knife. Oh. But he took he took the axe because because Trotsky had already uh, survived an assassination attempt where they shot up his whole house for like a drive-by shooting oh, with like with, with the machine guns and guns and all sorts of stuff. So the, they was very heightened. Um, and the security guards were going to have to let him in and out of the house. It was like a double locked room type situation. So yeah. Trotsky couldn't die. And then he realized that the knife might not kill him right away. And the gun would alert the guards that he assassinated him. So he took the axe because he could chop it into his head, Jeez. and it should be one, it should be one and done. Yeah. Oof. And so he 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 got away. The assassin was eventually captured and served twenty years. Meanwhile, the NKVD sent him money every single week. Even got his girlfriend uh, in Mexico to come be able to visit him, and he was released a hero. So. <laughs> Man, that's so nuts. But yeah, you know that kind of stuff. It reminds me of like uh, a page out of like Putin's Putin's playbook. Yeah, it's you sending a message. Not necessarily yeah. like yeah, you're not you're not saying that I can eliminate you, but I'm gonna send a message to anyone else. Well, because uh he's been known to do similar things, you know. There was that uh chemical attack in, in the UK. And then of course the whole thing with Navalny, like anyone that speaks out against him, they end up dead from uh some, you know, very, very rare, <laughs> you know, like nerve agent that's only produced in Russia, <laughs> you know, so it's like Ooh, yeah, okay. <laughs> or you, or you fall creepy. out of uh, six-story windows that don't open, so. <laughs> yeah, with like, uh, you know, he committed suicide, you know, three shots to the back of the head, you know? Yeah. <laughs> mm. 
by this point, also, this is not the original 13 people. Bizarro had a lot more people because they started establishing settlements in Peru, mm. completely destroying the resistance for the Incans. I guess, you know, at that point, you probably would have had some of the other Incans on your side because there was a civil war originally, but there was a, a battle where it was him versus 3,000 people and like a handful of guys, like 20 guys, and he lost four guys. I think that was the conquest of Cusco in 1533. <laughs> No, um, not that Cusco. No! You threw off my groove! I'm sorry, but you've thrown off the Emperor's groove. Sorry! You were saying? And you think of 3,000 people versus, they, they, even with zombie horde mode yeah. turned on, like, you, you could throw <laughs> off enough bodies to the problem to take out 20 guys. The issue was, these conquistadors were wearing steel plate armor, and the, the Incans were using stone arrowheads and slingshots and slings. Yep. This is not David and Goliath. This is not like you're going up against someone with similar power. It's over 9,000! Even if you take out the, the, the rifles, the arbuses they had, which were more like giant shotguns, like junk guns. You show whatever you want in there. But... They had cavalry. They had swords. Like, you're going to scare a bunch of tiny little Incans with a giant horse. These, these are European horses, you know. They stand 25 hands tall, and the guys ride around with a freaking uh, a sword and a uh, cavalry stick and, and a gun. Yeah. yeah. So one of the soldiers conceivably could take on, let's just say, 100, 150 people, no problem. Because they're, they don't know what to fight. They don't know how to fight that shit. So, and, and the horses were armored, too. So it's when you really think about how they conquered and took over all of Peru, and they moved very quickly. We're talking about his uh, exploration and conquest was 1524 to 15 to 1532. So you're talking about within 10 years, they've taken over not only the entire country, but half the continent. Because Peru was not just the sit state of Peru as it exists today. It's, it's, it's more. It was more land because it was all over the Andes and stuff, too. World War II happens, and in 1939, Stalin signs a non-aggression pact with Nazi Germany. Now, Stalin knew that Hitler was, you know, that this this wasn't going to last, that, you know, Hitler was going to go back on his word. And of course, that's exactly what happened in 1941. The Nazis launched Operation Barbarossa. But even so, like, like you would think that if Stalin knew that this was going to happen, why was he so slow to retaliate? Because of his inaction, it led to the loss of 4.3 million Russian casualties uh, before they actually started sending troops in. But basically, Stalin eventually initiated a draft and the Russian soldiers were ordered to shoot any deserters under order number 227. The time has come. Execute order 66. Panic makers and cowards are to be liquidated on the spot. Yeah, they actually showed that in the, the movie, Any at any the Gates. They give uh, one person yeah. a rifle, one person ammo, and the first guy dropped in the front. You did pick up the gun and put your own ammo in, and there was someone behind you yes. standing with the gun. If you didn't continue fighting, you were going to get shot. So, <laughs> yeah, it's pretty crazy. What is the situation here? The Germans are attacking everything. Their panzers have penetrated our lines. Their air force dominates. No, counterattack here, 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 here. You don't understand the situation. Our front is crumbling. Our forces are retreating, trying to avoid capture. No capture, no retreat, no surrender. Attack. Beria? Beria! Bring up security troops. Shoot anyone trying to retreat. Shoot our own men? Yes, and we'll shoot you too, you incompetent fool! Cobra! 
And um, at one point, there was this Russian war hero, right? General Georgi Zhukov. And he refused a direct order from Stalin to arrest soldiers within the ranks of his army. And as a result, he was exiled to the Ural Mountains. This is a war hero. Like, that's crazy to me. But, you know, it's worth mentioning that this is something that a lot of Americans don't really realize, I think. Or, Or just aren't, you know, it's not something that we focus a lot on but really the russians were kind of instrumental in defeating nazi germany during world war ii yeah without them i mean they just basically threw bodies at it it's almost like the incans thrown bodies at, at the yeah Zara's it really is yeah because yeah there's 27 million people that was half the population of prussia to begin with so. exactly <laughs> Yeah, it's uh, some pretty devastating numbers when you look into it. But if all that isn't bad enough, Stalin, when they rescued Russian prisoners of wars, he sent thousands of them to their deaths saying, we have no prisoners of war, only traitors to the motherland. You know, on top of that, he then gave a pass to any reported war crimes as long as they won battles. So that's that's pretty awful, you know. You you, uh, you kill your prisoners of war and then you give a pass to your soldiers who committed war crimes. Uh, OK. <laughs> yeah, it actually ended up being a lot of the um, Russians who were captured by the Germans would actually flip and fight just because they wanted their they didn't care too much at that right. point. Yeah. And I kind of don't blame them. I mean, it's saying it's between a rock and a hard place is kind of an understatement. Like that's the the worst possible position to be in. You don't want to be fighting for either of these guys, <laughs> Hitler or Stalin, you know? You know. <laughs> um, and I think at that point, like, you know, I knew I think that a lot of the Russians knew they were kind of like they were kind of screwed either way. And then I think a lot of the Germans at that point knew the war was not going in their favor, you know, so, yeah, pretty depressing. Final round. Fight. I was, I was going to say Pizarro's life it, it ends pretty violently, much like Trotsky. After Pizarro defeated the uh, Incan Empire in Peru, he remember, he had help. He started moving in. He was kind of seen as the de facto leader of the group that was taking everything over. And so he was basically made, you know, governor of the territory. But this was a frontier town. And I say it that way because there, there's not much going on because you need to enslave the people and make sure you get gold and silver back to the uh, Spanish Empire. So there was a lot of struggles going on. It's like any kind of boomtown. If you watch the show Deadwood, that kind of shit going on. So there's some struggles. He had partners, allies, some of his previous um, previous conquistadors, uh, including a man named Diego de Albergo. He ended up killing him. Yeah. This was a guy who was one of Pizarro's allies, one of his closest allies. Almagro turned against him, so he decided not only to execute him, but he even stripped Diego's sons of their land, leaving them broke, which would later come back to bite him in the ass. So basically, World War II ends in 1945, and just a few years later, you know, the Russians have a bomb of their own, and we're off to the races with the Cold War for the next several decades. (laughs) Which leads to the space race and a bunch of other stuff. (laughs) Oh, totally. And we're still feeling the effects of all these events today. It's kind of crazy that at the Mm. Tron conference, Stalin was like kind of smiling and shaking hands with, uh, you know, uh, President Roosevelt. Meanwhile, his spies, his Soviet spies were over and infiltrating the Manhattan Project and stealing our nuclear secrets, like as we were allies. So uh, it's pretty interesting. It's also definitely worth pointing out that Stalin is the reason that Chairman Mao came into power in China and 
Kim Il-sung became the ruler of North Korea. He kind of gave these guys their start. And that, of course, led to a whole lot of other issues. And the rest is history. And Omega's son, uh, Amegro, Omega, Omega's son, hired mercenaries and went after uh, Pizarro in his own house during dinner. On June 26th, 1541, the son of Omegaro got his revenge. Now, this is where it gets a little crazy because uh, there was like 30, 40 guys, something like that, went after Pizarro. And Pizarro was struggling to get his body armor on. So he heard the commotion. Now, this the castle that's in Peru now, the, the, the mansion, that's not the original one. The original one is set up almost like a Castilian fort. So it was... Um, a, a two-story adobo structure with a courtyard, very large courtyard in the front, very large courtyard in the middle, so he could have his own little uh, standing guard and stuff, but he was not expecting this kind of stuff. In fact, I think that he thought he was getting attacked by some of the natives or locals. That's why he was struggling to put his body armor on, because if you're already a, a fighter and you know how to handle a sword in the European way and you think you're going against another sword fighter, the armor is just going to slow you down. Uh, on guard yourself, I will give you the honor of a quick and painless death. Aha! Uh, well, any last words? Let your sword do the talking. Blackguard, <laughs> 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 heathen! <laughs> not the face, not the face! But yeah, he was caught. He was assassinated. Four other of his guests died. Most people escaped. During the fight, Pizarro managed to kill two of the attackers and stabbed a third. But ultimately, he was too exhausted to brandish his sword and was killed with a slash to the throat. <laughs> And Amigo's son took over as governor in the area again. Like, how long does it take to get a letter back to Spain? Like, yeah, this guy was probably bad. Yay, so we killed him. <laughs> um, so by that, by the time you get the back and forth going on, they're just like, fine, just don't make sure we keep getting our gold. Finish him. It all kind of comes to an end in the 50s. In 1951, there was a concerned doctor that recommended that Stalin kind of try to take it easy for a few days. And <laughs> on that mere suggestion that he relax, Stalin instead had the doctor arrested and charged him as a spy. And just two years later, he died of a stroke. Oof. So, you know, what's really interesting about this, and it's kind of disturbing, and I don't want to say it's funny, but it kind of is because he was a terrible person. But because of his paranoia, people never wanted to bother him, right? So he had a stroke, and it wasn't till like, I want to say a day or two later that people actually found him on the ground because like I said, people didn't want to bother him. He had a, he had a temper and, you know, he had a tendency to kind of um, execute people for no good reason. But because this was like kind of such a sudden thing, it left a power vacuum and there was a lot of, you know, brutal infighting because there was no real clear hierarchy within the Kremlin in his absence. Yeah, and there's a very funny movie called The Death of Stalin. So Oh yeah, yeah. If you wanna if you wanna know more about that, definitely watch that. <laughs> I propose we call a doctor. <laughs> All the best doctors are dead. I can't remember who's alive and who isn't. It's Comrade Stalin. I'll take it from here. We need to start putting together a plan. How can you run and plot at the same time? We should get Stalin's children here. What are you doing to my father, you jackals? How old are you? I'm old. You're not old! You're not even a person! You're a testicle! Everything's gonna be fine. This is not exactly fine, is it? My father's lying there with his head open. Stalin would have wanted the committee as one. All those in favor? Terry. You. 
unanimously. Rooshed? Not rooshed. Whatever. Not rooshed. Rooshed? Would you stop with this? I want to make a speech at my father's funeral. No, uh, no problem. Uh, technically, yes, but practically. When I said no problem, what I meant was no problem. Ignore me. I'm sorry, but I am very furious. You're the good guy now? You locked up half the nation. Yes, and now I'm releasing them. What are you doing? I've been picking out funeral cushions with Slim Hitler over there. Trust no one. Darling will be loving this. Don't worry. Nobody's gonna get killed, I promise you. I've had nightmares that make more sense than this. You will not take me down! I will not be silent! You know, it's a comedy, but it is uh, very much inspired by real events. <laughs> very dark comedy, very dark comedy. But almost immediately, Bizarro, people saw him as the as the, the people who gave Spain, you know, Peru, and, and got Christianity to the continent. But he really did screw over a lot of people, a lot of cultures, destroyed an empire oh without a doubt going against stalin in the bracket of fails i think it, it's he did enough to be relevant on this list but i think it's just his brutality the most of it yeah you know there, there's a lot of people out there that tend to think that stalin and this is this is crazy to me but i've heard this before online that there's a lot of people that think that stalin really wasn't that bad that it was all american propaganda <laughs> and i i don't think that's the case and i think one of the the biggest pieces of evidence for that is that khrushchev the guy that took over after stalin actually condemned his actions he denounced his cult of personality and he called him out for like a dozen different crimes and he did this in a secret meeting uh back in 1956 but he made it really clear that that was the past and that they were moving past that at one point khrushchev said all of us around stalin were temporary people as long as they trusted us to a certain degree we were allowed to go on living and working but the moment he stopped trusting you, Stalin would start to scrutinize you until the cup of his distrust overflowed. And I want to point out that Khrushchev was always loyal to the party, but towards the end, he was like the sad grandpa of Russia. Yeah, um, that's a good fact, way to he, put it. He is one of the few Russian leaders to not die in office. So that's right. <laughs> just think about the amount yeah. of power you have to have to not get shot in the back of the head when you're uh, <laughs> when they're done with you. Exactly. That's <laughs> yeah, that's a good point, man. And I just I find that really interesting that like, you know, people still vilified Russia, like Americans still vilified Russia, you know, throughout the Cold War, of course, but it was a whole different ball game after Stalin. Yeah, no, he's it's crazy because his death was reverberated out for decades and eventually went to the, like the balkanization of all the uh all the stands and everything else going on too, because everyone wanted their own territories back. Because he, over the years, they consolidated so much, but it never really was the same without him being in power. You had people in power. I think the closest we have now is Putin being a yeah. dictator. So yeah. the Soviet Union. I thought you guys broke up. Yes, that's what we wanted you to think. <laughs> <laughs>
All right, now that we got all that out of the way, let's tally up the brutal murders, deaths, and assassinations each of these guys are responsible for. I'm afraid we need to use math. Okay, so uh, Pizarro, you know, going up against Stalin. He's 13 guys, he's 200 men, his eventual conquistador cadre that gets to Peru, defeated anywhere from between 40,000 and 80,000 Incan warriors. Uh, that's that's pretty impressive. He was also responsible for a lot of deaths firsthand. He killed people. He killed his own crew members. He was a governor of a frontier town in Peru. So, I mean, there's a lot of death. Um, he was not a stranger to getting dirty and, and doing his own work. He has executed people. He's killed some of the people that came out to kill him. Mm -hmm. and, and the people that helped him out, like his yeah. former captain. Former captain. Uh, he's executed people. And... And if we look at his legacy, he gave the Spanish a solid foothold in South America. I mean, they, they were going to get it regardless, but he was responsible for a lot of it, plus the gold. He changed the region for, for centuries. Say what you will about the warriors and the, the soldiers. They were all about getting paid, and so was he. But he also brought priests along, which means he completely screwed up the continent's natural flow. Because priests don't stop. Soldiers have to get paid, but, but priests do it for the love of God. So, mm. Yeah. <laughs> And then we got we got Stalin. He's got one of the highest body counts of I'd argue anyone in history. You know, estimates range anywhere from like 20 to 60 million people. And like I mentioned, like, you know, we had the Great Purge. He 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 murdered he he assassinated a lot of his own loyal supporters, which is just crazy to me. You know, not to mention the Great Famine, which we already mentioned. And then of course, you know, all the needless deaths throughout World War II. Yeah, it's uh, pretty awful. <laughs> like when you, you know, as bad as Pizarro is, you're you're talking about thousands, right? Stalin killed millions. And it's really that's such a huge number. Like thousands are kind of hard to, you know, imagine, right? <laughs> it's hard to kind of like picture that in your head. But millions is nearly impossible. That's just a statistic at that point. Like, if we were voting for him, I'm just gonna say tens of thousands when your whole empire is only hundreds of thousands. Tens yeah. of thousands is a pretty big jump. But True. Different times. You are, you got to think of the industrialization of the death that he brought, that Stalin brought, mm. because. His leadership and incompetence or appointing people over incompetence or just general communist incompetence uh, killed how many people in Ukraine and Kazakhstan with the Great Famine? And then his purges would wipe out whole towns and villages. So, yeah, I mean, that's let, let's just say five to ten thousand right there. One village done, gone by. Not, Adios. Not, not to mention <laughs> he locked up like half the population or something crazy like that. Like he sent a lot of people to prison over over really dumb things a lot of times yeah and then the fact that there's a whole generation of men who were lost because of world war ii and then the pushes that we just oh, threw yeah. bodies at shit that led to the crisis that we're still going through in russia now where you know you had some uh, this is very funny there's a, a saying that you'd have uh, hot women end up with like farmers and truckers because that's the only boys who are left <laughs> like you had, you had young yeah. men, the, the, the youngest man would be like eight years old. And then the uh, youngest female could be any age because they didn't send them off to war. Mm. So, right. Yeah. So, yeah, I think it's also worth considering, though, that, um, yeah, Pizarro killed people firsthand, like, you know, <laughs> with a sword in his hand, whereas 
Stalin, most of the time, it was really like these these decisions he was making. He knew what the cost was, but he wasn't like actually like pulling the trigger each time, you know? Yeah. And I think that that is worth considering when we, we kind of make this decision here. But um, I also want to point out everyone kind of thinks of Hitler as like the ultimate evil. And he definitely was in the running, but he, he's responsible for about 11 million deaths. And then we got... You know, Mao Zedong has uh, somewhere between 78 and 100 million, which you could argue was also Stalin's fault. Just saying. Yeah, between the civil wars and also Zhao, Mao Zedong had the same issue with Stalin, where they come up with these five-year plans that were unrealistic. And yeah. would, you'd have people, you'd either have to make up your numbers on paper uh, or you'd get executed. So there's a lot of robbing Peter to pay Paul and stealing from the future. Yeah, definitely. And all of that brings Stalin's body count to a whopping grand total of about 60 million people. Brutality. You know, that that's um, pretty clear evidence right there. You know, he killed more people than uh, than Hitler, most likely. So, you know, kind of, kind of, uh, you know, leaning towards Stalin on this one. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, where, you know where I started from, but I, I, I agree with you that Stalin is worse than Pizarro. I do think he, Pizarro is more brutal than Stalin overall. Because there's only so much one man can do, and Stalin wasn't the kind of person that would take a gun himself and shoot someone in the face. Dude, Pizarro sucks, don't get me wrong. But Stalin is a thousand times worse. So yeah, Stalin wins. No contest. Pizarro wiped out the Incan Empire in a brutal series of campaigns with superior weaponry, and deceit, he forever altered the course of history for the South American continent. And then he got Stalin, who was easily one of the most brutal dictators in human history, caused untold suffering for half the world's population, murdered those closest to him out of sheer paranoia, committed a genocide to his own people, and single-handedly caused the Cold War and the Korean War. So yeah, uh, I think I think we're both in agreement on this. Um, I think. Uh, I think Stalin wins here. Default. Default. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, it's, again, we're feeling more reverberations of Stalin outwardly. Although I do think that Pizarro had adjusted the, the future of the continent as much as he possibly could. So right. it's, it's not a toss-up, but it's just interesting if you look at it from points of view that Stalin is way more of a terrible person. He is the most epic fail of history as far as a leader is concerned. Because I don't even consider Pizarro a leader. I just think he was in a leadership position. Yeah. But, yeah, man. Stalin. Not not a good dude. Although, apparently, he looked hot back in the, 19, <laughs> That's the 1900s. So, yeah. So, I mean. <laughs> yeah, look up young Stalin. You know, he, he could have been a model. You know, had could have had a way different career trajectory. <laughs> I, I see this as an absolute win. So... Yeah, you know, I thought that, again, I thought this uh, this whole bracket idea was kind of an interesting way to really kind of look at, you know, some of these historical figures through a different lens. There's so much context involved with all these stories, you know, so if Pizarro was in Stalin's position, would he have been worse? You know, it's hard to say. So it, a lot of these are not one to one. Uh, this really was just like a fun excuse to kind of talk about a bunch of horrible people. But one thing I thought was kind of interesting was as we were going through a lot of these figures, there was a lot of like similar themes that kept coming up. I don't know if you if you picked up on any of that. Yeah, that that's how I set my bracket to begin with. You, you tend to notice the path of xenophobism and jingoism and oh yeah, 
false patriotism and nationalism. I would say actually even looking at the the failed people on this list, the, the original list starting from, yeah, all of them were usually terrible crime people, like, the, with the exception of being like, Eric Bloodick wasn't too bad, Stead Bonnet was fine, when you really look at what they've done. Right. Even Guerrilla Princep, he's an idiot, but he lucked out as an idiot. We had a yeah. whole wonderful podcast with that. I mean, right. Yeah. Well, he was one of those care. Yeah, it's like you could. It kind of depends on how you're judging this, right? Because like Gavrilo Princip could be considered like if you take him out of history, like a lot of people say they would go back and kill Hitler. But if you take out Gavrilo Princip, if you take him off the timeline, how different is the world? You know, time travel. Because what he did caused World War One, which led to World War Two, which led to the Cold War. Yeah. Like our whole world would be way different if he hadn't kicked that one domino off. But that's the only thing he did was that one act. You know, that and, one... and it was a domino in the wrong position at the wrong time. Like if right. we're talking about a couple months either way, and we were still gonna, we were, we were still always gonna have a World War One out. Why the free reason we call World War One? It's because we counted that whenever. There's been multiple, yeah. multiple country wars. I mean, that's just the way we have. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah but I mean, the Crimean War was basically World War Zero. We we still would have had a war, but I think it would have been delayed by about 10 years. Yeah. Until we still got some sort of random depression, so. Probably, yeah, in some ways, maybe this was inevitable. And unfortunately, it's one of the things, like, we don't have access to the multiverse. Multiverse is a concept about which we know frighteningly little. The multiverse is real. We don't know <laughs> how different things could have gone, you know, um, but what we can do is look at the past and kind of like figure out like a better way forward, learning from the mistakes of people that came before us. Um, and I think, you know, when it comes to history, I think it's important to look at the failures because a lot of times we learn about the heroes of history. Right. Uh, but if you learn like what. <laughs> went wrong you kind of kind of learn from those mistakes a little better than the other way around i think but yeah uh so so a common trait i noticed with a lot of these horrible people is there's a lot of egotism there you know it's almost you know a lot of them start out as like they have these high ideals but then they get selfish and then they uh, they get greedy it's it's such a simple thing but like it's their circle of concern kind of like shrinks in at the end you know they kind of only care about themselves and screw over anyone they need to yeah yeah unfortunately for a lot of them their circle of influence is large so yeah exactly yeah <laughs> well yeah it, and i yeah that's all it is though i think like it's kind of simple really it just comes down to empathy uh and that's like something that so many of the world religions kind of try to i'm trying to i'm trying to try to instill instill sort of that's empathy. the word thank yes. you yeah 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 exactly so like we we talked about some of these figures on the list like with the crusades and all that like even with that like you know, they, they sometimes lose what the, the core message of their own beliefs are. The problem is they, they end up othering other cultures instead of kind of trying to see things through their shoes. And this seems like such an obvious concept to, to us today. But I don't know, like, I, I feel like there's there's still a lot of people that fall into those those traps, right, of um, kind of thinking they're better than other people. And not really considering the other side, if that makes sense. The, the conflicts can happen, right? Conflicts are always going to happen. That's that's just the that's human nature. But we have to kind of see our enemies as human, if that makes sense. We have to try to kind of see where they're coming from, because maybe there's a there's a solution. Maybe there's some kind of uh, compromise. And unfortunately, when you just kind of take that off the table completely and you just demonize the other side, 
then, you know, you can justify all kinds of horrible things. I hope that makes sense. Are you, are you trying to solve world peace with the podcast, Eric? Because I don't think that's really going to work out for us too well. <laughs> well, it is uh, epic fails of history, so. <laughs> yep, yep, yep. And for more on both Bizarro and Stalin, check out my article on the blog over at epicfails.com. Epic with a K. Bizarro, Fall of the Incan Empire, and Tales from Under the Iron Fist of Stalin. And as always, links are in the show notes. Только ветер гудит в проводах, Тускло звезды мерцают. В темную ночь ты, любимая, знаю, не спишь, И у детской кроватки тайком ты слезу утираешь. Поэтому знаю со мной Ничего не случится All right. Yeah, this is that's been me. I'm Justin Aki. You can find me on all my socials at uh, Justin Aki Jacks. Upcoming, I will be again on season, whatever the hell season we're going to do next for Epic uh, Fails of History. We probably have a lot got, of catching up to do on some. Uh, works. Yeah, we got we got a lot of catching up to do on some of the articles you have outstanding, Eric. And then uh, upcoming right. on uh, Podcasters Assemble, leading into January, we're going to be doing Studio Ghibli. Studio Ghibli. It's going to be fun because I haven't seen a lot of them. I've only seen a handful. Um, and I finally just watched the first movie uh, last month that we're going into uh, Nausicaa, The Valley of the Wind. Interesting movie. Wait for my takes on that one. But yeah, so please feel free to contribute to any and all of the episodes. We're going to do them over the course of a year. It's going to be a lot less stressful, which is which is actually fitting for Ghibli. They're they're very like clean, <laughs> wonderful slice of my life movies. They're not like, oh, hey, yeah. you need to crank this out in two weeks, guys. <laughs> yeah, definitely. So yeah, that's uh, we're doing. Uh, yeah, all the Studio Ghibli. Mo- well, not all the Studio Ghibli movies. But- no, no, no. We do a, a nice selection. <laughs> um, and then there, if you want to do more, there is some like side projects going on to do the rest of them. Them, but right. just focus on the main ones, guys. Take it easy. Relax yeah. a little bit. Get some Mizaki stuff going on in your life. So Definitely. Yeah, yeah. 2024 is the year of Ghibli over at Podcasters Assemble. About and f- as in time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we've been holding off on this one for a while. And then also uh, check out our other podcast, The Super Switch Club, where we're finally starting our next NES season with Star Tropics. And as always, you can find me at Eric Slater. That's Eric with the K Slater with the D all over social media. Happy holidays. Merry Christmas. Happy Hanukkah, whatever you uh, and yours celebrate. And next time we'll be talking with Ben Thompson about Vikings. Awesome. That's gonna be a great episode right there. Yeah, man. Get some mead going or something, you know. <laughs> <laughs> but until then, stay tuned for more epic fails of history. Thank you for listening to Epic Fails of History. If you enjoyed the show, please follow us on Spotify, give us a five-star review, and share with your friends. You can follow me on social media at Eric Slater. That's Eric with the K, Slater with the D. And be sure to check out our other great shows from the Probably Work Podcast Network, including Podcasters Assemble, Comic Zombie, Too Young for This Trek, The RPG Years, and The Super Switch Club, a Nintendo podcast. Music and jingles produced by Deft Stroke Sound. This episode was edited by Eric Slater.
This has been a presentation of the We Can Make This Work Probably Network. Follow us on Twitter at Probably Work for more of our questionable content. Also, we have a website called ProbablyWork.com. Yeah.